and planning to get our children's ministry up and running again. And I know that they'll help with attendance. But I like screaming babies, so let's get into the Word and see how many of you babies I can make scream. That was funny right there. That was pretty good. Get your Bible out this morning. How are you doing, Ray? Good. You look good. Your wife dresses you perfectly. There's Dawn. She's a good woman. We're in Ephesians chapter 6, chugging our way through Ephesians in this blueprint for Christian conduct. This morning I gave a little commercial for Hebrews that we've been doing on Wednesday, and uh, I hope if you can, you make it on Wednesday. We need as much of the word in us as possible now, and uh, those of you who come, we do a lot of teaching on Wednesday, and um, it's beneficial to us, gets the depth of the word into the depths of our soul. So, Father, we thank you this morning for this study on a, a blueprint for Christian conduct. We thank you, Lord, that it matters the way we behave because the world is looking at us to see what they think about Jesus. And so, Father, help us to walk in a, in a way that's worthy of our calling, to reflect the goodness of a God who is our everything. And, Father, I pray that by the Holy Spirit, this message would get into our hearts today, so it would get into our feet, so it would produce fruit. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we're going through the armor of God here, I'm going to recap just a little bit, but I want to read you verse 14 of uh, chapter 6, and I'll probably stop around 17 or 18. But it says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, talking about the armor of God. Stand firm, therefore having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So there in that little description, just a few verses, we have... Uh, the armor of God which is being described to us. Now, we talked about the spiritual armor and the reason that we need spiritual armor is because we're in a spiritual fight and we have a spiritual enemy. The world scoffs at the idea of, of the devil and uh, of darkness and against evil and, and tries to pretend that it doesn't exist. And uh, it's been said before that the devil's greatest trick is that he convinced people he doesn't exist. Because an enemy you refuse to acknowledge will destroy you, especially if they've declared war against you. So the spiritual armor is not a literal suit of armor that we wear in the natural, but it is a, a spiritual uh, collection of armor that works together in concert to protect us from the schemes of the devil. That's one of the things we learned. Our, devil, our, our adversary is a schemer. How many have ever met schemers? You know, maybe you got little kids that are schemers. You can just look at them and like, what are you thinking? You know, what are you plotting? Maybe a little to toddler with crazy eyes, you know, and you're like, what are you doing? But our enemy's a schemer. And he's, you say, what is he doing? He's watching us. He's looking for weaknesses in us. And then he attacks those weaknesses. He doesn't attack us where we're strong. He didn't attack Jesus when he was healing the sick. He attacked him when he was 40 days in the wilderness fasting, diminished flesh, and all of these things. And the enemy thought, ha, here's my chance. Why? Because he was watching. He was waiting. He did it to Jesus. He does it to us. 
Now our enemy is not going to show up in a red leotard with a pitchfork. He's not that cartoonish little guy that sits on one shoulder and the angels on the other and back and forth they try and convince you whether to do good things or bad things. That's cartoonish. That's not reality. The truth is the enemy is not animated like that. We are going to see him and find him showing up in every form of temptation that we deal with. He's going to try and trick us into compromise. Give us opportunities where we're back into a corner to see if we'll lie or cheat or steal. See if we'll bend the rules. He'll tempt us to do things we know we shouldn't do because he tells us nobody's looking. See, integrity is being the same person in front of people that you are when nobody's looking. And the truth is, Christian, somebody's always looking because God sees everything. There wasn't many amens on that one. There was a few gasps, there were a few panicked looks, but not too many amens. God sees everything we do. He sees the thoughts and intents of our heart. Man, I didn't even do it yet, and he saw it. God, what, am I in trouble? Almost. We better talk. But that spiritual armor protects us from, from an enemy who tries to make us compromise and, and fall into these situations where we choose sin over righteousness. Now, looking at the armor, we, we notice that it works together in concert. You can't just pick the parts that you like. You can't run into battle with just your helmet on and no sword. You can't run into battle, ooh, I like the belt of truth. It's got a big buckle. I think it's a country belt. And you just go out there and you got no sword. See, it works together in concert to protect us. So we have to understand and implement every part of it to be safe in this battlefield we call life. And we found that that belt of truth, uh, it, 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 it wraps together our garments so that we can be nimble and useful on the battlefield. Without a belt, basically the clothes of the day was just like wearing a dress. So it says, gird up your loins. Everybody got their girdles on today. Come on, you got your belt on. The, your, the, your center, your gravity is in the center of your gravity there, and you belt it up with what? The truth of God's word. We need the truth of God's word. Hey, we got everybody's opinion. We got the talk show hosts. We got the politicians. We got, you know, Dr. Phil. Everybody's got an opinion. But we need the truth of God's word. You and I need to know it. It centers us. It gives us balance. It's what we need. We talked about the breastplate of righteousness, protecting our spiritual vitals. God wants to protect us from the sucker punches of life that we get hit with out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we get hit with stuff, and it takes our breath away, and it takes our, our will to serve God away. God wants to protect us from all those things. How about our hearts? That breastplate protects our hearts. Have you ever lost heart? Have you ever got worn out? Have you ever become weary in well-doing? Amen. That breastplate of Jesus' righteousness protects our hearts. It's his righteousness that I'm covered in, not my own. My own is like filthy rags, and so is yours. But his is an impenetrable force. The most powerful substance known to man is the blood of Jesus and the righteousness of Christ. Today we're looking at verse 15. And it says here, having strapped on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace. Also in the King James, you're going to see that word shod. Shod means to bind on, to be in bonds with or be knit or tied to. So it's talking about literally strapping on shoes. And if you saw shoes in that day when this was written that soldiers used, they were a combination of 
metal and leather and thongs and straps and, you know, all different armies used all different kinds, but you had to bind it to your foot. You didn't just slip it on like, you know, you had to work to get that thing on. I want to talk to you today about the fact that this uh, implement of the armor is very important to us. And you say, well, well, why is it so important? As every piece is important, the importance of the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace are this. Unprotected feet uh, will severely limit a soldier's mobility on a battlefield. You know, you need something on your feet just to go outside of your house. Some of us need shoes just to walk around our house. It's time for a cleaning day on Saturday. But, you know, unprotected feet, I mean, think about it. There are some cultures that, you know, they don't wear shoes, and their feet are tough. We are not those people. Did you ever walk outside? I'm just going to run to the mailbox or something. You go down the driveway, and you're like, ooh, ah, ooh, like this. You come back, you're like, ah, you know, you're all messed up by the time you got back. You're missing toenails. You're counting toes. You're like, how'd I do here? Why? Because unprotected feet, man, that's a liability. If you've ever, uh, you know, you walk through the woods or you walk, you know, even on the beach, man, they got some shells. And the sand's hot too, right? Got to run into the water like a big sissy jumping up and down. It's embarrassing. That's my dad over there, yeah. So shoes protect our feet and unprotected feet make us a liability uh, in the spiritual battle. Uh, Any issues with soldiers and their feet are very serious. If you know anything about uh, soldiers and how they conduct operations in the field, the medic will always have foot powder and dry socks and blister and ankle care and toe care. Oh, why? It's all a high priority, and here's why. Because if your feet break down while you're out there in the field, you are now a liability to your unit, and you're no longer in the fight. Feet issues are serious issues. If you lose your wheels, you're not mobile anymore. If you're not mobile anymore, it's hard to be a soldier. So understand that this idea of protecting our feet is time-tested. It makes sense to us. We relate to it in every way. Our feet, if they go down, we are no longer in the fight. We now become a burden instead of an asset. Some of us got foot injuries. Why? Because we haven't strapped on our gospel shoes we're going to talk about that and now we're out of the fight and we're we need attention and we're no longer an asset to the kingdom of god now having said all this it's getting pretty quiet i know that i'm talking to the flip-flop and crocs generation here our generation all about sandals man we've invented some crazy stuff to strap on your feet i was talking to pastor mike about this i said if we wear some of the things that we wear now and went to school we would have got beat up Serious. You know, when I was a kid, it was like that time where, you know, certain sneakers, young people today, you know, you got to have, man, the right sneakers and stuff. If, you, if you're older, it was Converse. If you're, a little, if you're a little bit, you know, then it was Nike. And, you know, now I don't know if it's Jordans or what it is, but the right shoes on your feet, you know, made a, a statement for your social status. A lot of unpopular people here. In, in, you know, you were, if you wore AMP grippers to, you know, the, the, the Grand Union grippers or whatever. I mean, so I cannot buy a laugh out of some of you, I'm telling you. I'm working hard. But, you know, you got to have the right shoes on your feet. And uh, if you don't, you know, you, you're no longer an asset, but you're a liability. And I've had conversations with my sons 
many times about the type of shoes that they wear, making them, you know, an asset instead of a liability in an emergency. You know, I say, we're going out to a snowstorm, and who's wearing slides, and who's got sneakers on? I'm like, what if the car breaks down? I know you don't know where the jack is, and you can't change the tire, but I'm, t- I'm telling you, you know, what happens if we have to push the car? What happens if we have to walk miles in the snow? Well, we'll wait for you to come back. Now, Austin is famous for this. It's 90 degrees, and he comes out in, like, snow boots up to here. I'm like, what are you doing? We're cutting wood. I couldn't find my sneakers. In the winter, the sneakers reappear because he's out in the driveway in the sneakers. You know, I don't want to just pick on my sons. I want to pick on my wife a little bit, too. Some of the things I've seen her, the contraptions that she straps to her feet. I'm telling you all these things, and I look at them, and I'm like, what in the world is that? You know, it's got plastic and baubles. She's got shoes with shells on them and bedazzled and flip-flops and slip-slops and all kinds of things, and I don't even know what the heck is going on. And I'll say to my wife, what if you have to run? Right? I say this all the time. What am I? She puts a pair of shoes on. It's like shells and baubles, and I'm like, are those your run-for-your-life shoes? I'm like, what if there's a a tsunami? What if there's a flood? What if there's a fire? What if Godzilla shows up? See, I'm not running. To which I answer, I ain't carrying you. We had a good run. But the reason we do all this is because our idea of shoes is more about comfort and style than it is about utility, mobility, and protection. The reason we, we are so comfortable with our shoes is because we, we don't think of disaster. We don't think of emergency. We don't think that, you know, we'd have to stand our ground. No, we're just thinking, I want to be comfortable. I want to talk to you about four important things about the shoes that are described here in verse 15. And the first one is this. These shoes of the gospel of peace that we are supposed to strap on, these Shoes are not ordinary, everyday shoes. So, you know, you might not wear them just because it's Monday or just because it's Thursday. No, they're not your ordinary street shoes. They're not your ordinary lounge-around shoes, whatever. They're, they're special. And God specifically designed these shoes to protect us and enhance our effectiveness in spiritual things. Now, we're going to see when we've strapped the gospel to our feet, some things happen as we get into deeper points here. But I want to say something this today. There are specialized shoes available to us to protect us from everything and anything. It's amazing. You know, I think of my grandfather's generation. Maybe they'd have a catalog with two pages of men's shoes. Now there's a shoe for everything. You know, you're in construction, you got steel toe boots, you got steel toe shoes, you got steel toe sneakers. If you're in construction, you got things that are abrasion resistant, tear resistant. All of these things are specialized. You got rubber shoes that electricians can wear to, pre- to ground them, to present, prevent them from electrical shock. You got firefighters that got special flame retardant, Nomex shoes that protect them from heat and flame. You got boots for logging and jogging and hiking and climbing. You know, there's all these kind of boots. C- certainly sh- soldiers have specialized boots. They have combat boots and jump boots and every kind of boot that you could think of. And you look at all of this in these are all specialized shoes. There's even a a boot called a snake boot that if you go out in the brush country in Texas where there's rattlesnakes that have bad attitudes, you can wear these, you know, 
18-inch high Kevlar-reinforced boots that a snake can't get his fangs through. Now, if you go out there in your flip-flops, you're going to learn all about anti-venom and <laughs> helicopter rescues. And You say, Pastor, what's, what's the point here? My point is this. All these specialized shoes available to us can only protect us if we wear them. Well, you know, uh, these gospel shoes I got, you know, they're pretty powerful. Pastor was talking about them, but they're uncomfortable. I'm not wearing them. You got to strap them on. Are you strapped today? Anybody strapped in here today? All the Italians know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So we got to wear these shoes. They're not everyday ordinary shoes, so we have to put them on on purpose. Let me ask you something. Do you have your spiritual shoes on today? Do you have your spiritual combat boots on today? Are you ready to stand firm if you're attacked? When you walk out those doors under the anointing, the enemy's going to come to try and steal away with the Holy Spirit tucked in your heart today. Are you ready and wearing those shoes to defend against the attack of the enemy? Or do you got your spiritual flip-flops on or your Christian Crocs because they're more comfortable and we think more like civilians than we do like soldiers? You and I are part of the family of God, which immediately enlists us into the army of God. And whether we like it or not or acknowledge it or not, we're in a spiritual fight. And if you're out there in your Christian Crocs, you're not ready for the fight. And that's why the enemy sw swoops in and takes advantage and, and bowls you over. And you're like, where did that come from? Well, you know, the thing is we need this armor on and we need to have it on and we need to be ready to stand firm. The second thing I want to point out about these shoes described in verse 15 is this. These shoes are all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anyone besides Pastor Mike? Give them a chance, Pastor Mike. Okay. These shoes are all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Two more of you, I appreciate that. And you say, well, what does that mean, Pastor, they're all about the gospel of Jesus Christ? He says they are the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of of peace. They're about Jesus Christ, and they're not about spirituality or faith fashion or denominational stances. No, they are about the gospel. This is a good time for us to be reminded of what the gospel is. Here's the most simplistic definition of the gospel I can give you. I want to give you that definition. Why? Because the gospel gets confused and overcomplicated by people who want to stick their own preferences and opinions and pet theologies in with the gospel. Then the gospel, you know, the, the scripture says that we shouldn't add or take anything away from the scripture. We shouldn't do that to the gospel either. Yet, you know, you say, well, this is the gospel plus, you know, you got to be baptized by immersion. Or this is the gospel that says, you know, you, you got to be sprinkled. I don't care if they sprinkle you, baptize you, throw you in a pond, shoot you with a super soaker, believe, uh, repent, believe, and be baptized, and you receive the Holy Spirit, Acts 2.38. Amen? Okay, so we want to add our pet stuff on it. Well, you got to believe the gospel, and you got to speak in tongues, or you're not saved. No, listen to me. It's the gospel plus nothing. It's the gospel plus nothing. We don't add anything to Jesus, and we don't add anything to the gospel. If we do, we're in danger of preaching another gospel, and that's dangerous. 
So here's what the gospel is in a nutshell in its most simplistic form. The word gospel means the good news. And this is the good news. Jesus came, he died, and he rose again. He broke the power of sin over mankind, and he offers eternal life as a free gift to everyone who wants it. That's the gospel. Amen. God, thank you for your simplicity. That was simple enough, right? You don't have to add anything to that. And our eschatological view is that we're pre-trib, mid-trib, post. No, don't add anything to it. You and I got to go out there with the gospel. So we got to know this. Jesus died. You know, he rose on the third day. Those are the important details. He offers salvation as a free gift to whosoever will. It's good news. How do we take the good news, complicate it, and make it bad news? So nobody wants to hear it. It's good news. Man, we could use some good news today. I mean, if the church is saying we could use some good news, how about the world out there that doesn't have a prayer or a clue? Man, how much more could they use some good news? And we got the good news. Now, the shoes are all about the gospel. And I want to say something about shoes that we put on our feet. Our feet take us places. You know, you don't put your running shoes on and then sit on the couch and eat like two bags of Cheetos and what? Maybe you do. Some people are going, it's Saturday, Saturday after. No, you, when you put your shoes on, you put them on to go out so they can take you places. And, and the point that I want to make here is our feet take us places. And when our feet take us places, what message are we carrying from place to place? Is it the gospel or is it something else? Now I realize you and I can't walk around like some sort of animatronic doll that pulls the cord that says the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. We got to talk to people. How you doing? How you, how's the family? You know, how about this weather? Now you got to say other stuff. But our primary message needs to be the good news. And when our feet take us from place to place, are we sharing the good news with the people we encounter? It's so important. Now you say, well, how do you, how can you discern people? How do you know what a person's about? Here's what I learned a long time ago. If you want to know everything you need to know about a person, let them talk. Now, people who, people who refuse to talk, they're tough. They become mysteries and all that. But if you let a person talk, they will, by their words, reveal to you everything you need to know about them. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Want to know what a person's about? Find out what's in their heart. Want to know what's in their heart? Let them talk. And don't interrupt them. And don't jump in. And don't add your own. Sometimes just be, I know this is hard. And don't get mad at me, but just be quiet. And let them talk. And when you want to jump in, don't say anything. Let there just be an awkward pause. You know what will happen? They'll show more. Come on. You want to know about a person? Let them talk. Because they're going to reveal to you what's in their heart. And so when a Christian is allowed to talk, what is revealed about us? What's in our heart? Our hearts are going to reveal what we're passionate about. Our hearts are going to reveal what's important to us. Our hearts are going to reveal the the most precious thing in our lives. When the gospel becomes our passion again, everywhere we go, people are going to hear the good news. And they need to. Well, I I don't want to tell them that's your job. I'll just bring them here. Okay, bring them here, but it's not just my job. It's your job. 
And Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. Does that sound like it's all my job? (laughs) It's your job too. Oh, pastor, now I'm stressed out. I got to, not only did I try and live this Christian life, it's hard. It's hard. You know, I'm having a hard time myself. But now I got to tell other people that they already don't like me. Now they're going to think I'm crazy. I feel you. I understand. But it's our job to share the good news. You know, part of our, part of the mystery of putting these shoes on is the places God's going to take us, we're going to encounter people that need to hear the gospel. You know, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You and I got to at least hit the low-hanging fruit. Come on, there's people around you that are ripe for the gospel. And the only thing that heaven and earth are waiting for is for you to open up your mouth and tell them. There's people on your street. There's people in your job. There's people in your family. Some of you, you know, you went years and years, and then all of a sudden you shared with a neighbor. The next thing you know, they're in church. Next thing you know, they get saved. Next thing you know, their whole household is transformed. Come on, if that's ever happened to you, say amen. Amen. That's a good thing. So our feet take us places, and when they do, our passion has to be the gospel. God, once again, let our passion be the gospel. That in all the things we talk about and all the things we share, Father, let it be the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves men's souls from hell. Number three, the third thing I want to tell you about these shoes is this. Wearing these shoes requires some preparation. Look what it says, the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, when you think about that, that that might seem weird. A lot of times when we read stuff in Scripture that doesn't make ready sense to us, we just gloss over it. Read it faster, right? Peace. I got the peace. I got the shoes. Shoes. Peace shoes. Peace shoes. It's the preparation of the gospel of peace. There are no accidental words in there. God wasn't trying to fill up the page, so there wasn't a short spot at the end. These, this means something. Now, let me tell you something. Uh, there again, we understand the spiritual by understanding the natural many times. Even the best footwear you can buy requires a break in time. You got to break it in. If you've ever put shoes on that you've never worn before, you know, you know, let's, it's like when you're buying shoes for kids. How do they feel? And what does your mom make you do? Walk in the store. You got to walk. I'm walking this door. One, one's making you go like this. How does it feel? Where's your toe, right? My, my mom and dad, they used to be feeling for the toe. They're like, I, I had like a short, fat, square foot. My dad was like, we'll just take the box. We don't need the shoes. Just put the box on his feet. But you got to make sure they fit. And every, every pair of shoes has a break-in period. You know, I'm a woodsman. I'm a hunter. If I want to break in a new pair of shoes for the season, I've got to do it six months before. I've got to start wearing them. Not only do I have to get the scent out of the rubber, I've got to get the shoe broken in. I've got to make sure that if I'm hiking up hills and stuff, it's not going to tear my foot apart. If, if you, I mean, a soldier knows this. You've got to have broken in boots before you go into combat. You can't be like, ah. Right? So there's a break-in period, and, 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 and there's a conforming time. Now, I want to say something. In the natural, both the shoe and the foot conform to each other. The shoe will stretch. The, strew, the shoe will maybe, – maybe when I was a kid, I had those wide feet. Always one toe was, like, coming out the side of the sneaker, pushing out. 
right? In the natural, that's what happens. Then our feet actually conform to shoes. You get the wrong size, watch what happens. You get calluses, you get blisters, you get bunions, you know. You, you got one toe pointing towards the kitchen, one straight up in the air. <laughs> the young people don't know. They're like, my feet are perfect. They don't even smell. They're wonderful. But there's a, there's a break-in period. And in the natural, both the foot and the shoe conform. And I want to say something about this. In, in the spiritual realm, the shoe doesn't conform. We conform. You know, we don't stretch and mold and bend the gospel to fit our opinions or our preferences. No, the shoes are perfect, and they're a perfect fit. If anything, we put them on, and we get used to them. And I want you to, sh- I want you to see that's different in, in, the, in the spiritual realm than it is in the natural realm. You know, the gospel's not going to bend to the church, not going to bend to its denominational preferences, not going to bend to its own ideologies or theologies. They are what they are. They're the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're the good news. And so understand the preparation is that break-in period for us to conform to the shoe, to get used to wearing the shoe, to be comfortable in those shoes so that there again we can have dexterity and mobility in the spiritual realm. We can produce fruit. Filling ourselves with the word of God is what prepares us uh, to reach a curious <laughs> and inquisitive generation. See, we've got to fill ourselves with the word of God so that what? We are conformed to the gospel, amen, uh, that we would be transformed uh, by the renewing of our mind, amen. There's, there's conforming, that we'd be conformed to the image of Christ. All, all of these themes in the epistles that, you know, speak to this idea that we have to be uh, prepared to share the gospel. Now, filling ourselves with the word is what prepares us and it makes us effective. Why? Because we're, we're, our feet are carrying us around and we're, we're encountering curious and inquisitive people. You know, as much as a lot of people say, I don't want anything to do with that religion or your gospel or your, you know, you evangelicals. I don't want, there's a whole lot of people that are curious and interested and inquisitive. Think about that. When you, you share Jesus with someone and they have questions, that's a good thing, Right? Man, I shared Jesus, and all they did is come up with questions. I don't have time for this. No, questions are good. Shows that they're curious. Shows that they're inquisitive. Here's the problem, though, when they have questions and we have no answers. Now, listen to me. It's all right to say I don't know about certain things. I'm, I'm learning the closer I get to the Lord and the more I get the word in me, there's, there's things I don't know. Oh, we need a new pastor. He, uh, we want... We thought you knew everything. You know what? We didn't get our money. No, listen, there's things that we don't know. But there's things we've got to know. We've got to know the basics of Christianity. And listen, if you're talking to someone and they want to go beyond the basics, point them towards leadership or do a Bible study at times. Say, I'll get back to you on that. And, 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 And use your resources, use your pastor, and get an answer. And that's a good thing. But we have got to prepare ourselves for the encounter of bringing the gospel to people because not all of them are going to chase us away. A bunch of them are going to want to know because they got a God-shaped hole in their heart and you have the answer to it and the answer is Jesus Christ. So you and I need to be articulate enough to share the truth with them in a way that they can receive it. Now listen to 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. And always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you 
to give an account for the hope that is in you, but with gentleness and respect. Listen to that. Make a ready defense. What is that a description of? Apologetics. Apologetics are us defending the faith that people say, isn't it true that the, the Bible's just, you know, a bunch of stories? Isn't it true that, you know, you know, it contradicts itself? You know, isn't it true that Jesus was, you know, just died? And we have to have an answer, an apologetics answer that, that defends the faith. Now, if you think, well, this is too high level for me. No, it's not. Greater is he who's within you than he who's in the world. All we got to learn to do is let him who's within us out. Listen, and the more of this we get in our heads and it drops in our hearts. Yeah, I look like a birdhouse, I know. <laughs> the more of this that gets in our hearts, when we, get in the, when we get in the battle, it just begins to pour out. Gucci, there's been times where I'm witnessing to someone and I'm quoting scriptures I don't even remember. <laughs> where did that come from? The Holy Spirit tucked it in there. If he could use me, he could use you. Trust me. So understand, we need to make a ready defense. Why? To give an account for the hope that is in you. Listen to the last part, but with gentleness and respect. We don't share the gospel like it's a sledgehammer. 2 Timothy 4.2. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. So Timothy... Paul's protege, uh, preparing him for ministry, the, the master apostle preparing the young pastor. He says, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. What does that mean? That means always have enough Holy Ghost in you to have the right words to say to people. It's about being filled with the Spirit, amen? It's not being a, a walking encyclopedia of biblical knowledge. It's not about being a master theologian. I've, se I've seen some people who know the Bible really well but have no Holy Ghost, and they're just like, I mean, they're just eggheads. There are people who know the Bible and teach it in colleges that are not even saved. Let me tell you something else. You know who knows the Bible better than all of us? You know it's our enemy, the schemer, the devil. He knows Scripture. He tried to use it against Jesus. Wow. So... Being prepared means making a ready defense, giving an account. One more scripture, 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Look, we don't have to be Bible scholars. We don't have to be theologians. We don't have to be master orders. Paul wasn't even a good speaker. They, they think he might have, you know, Moses stuttered and Paul had speaking issues. Uh, we don't need to read Greek and Hebrew and do, you know, Hebrew word studies. on. No, we don't need any of that to be effective with the gospel. We need to have enough love and enough of the Holy Spirit and the basics to share with people when God puts them in front of us. So strap your gospel shoes on and let them take you where they will. But when you get there, let it be about the gospel and not about politics or a sports team or, you know, what's going on in the world today. Let it be about Jesus. And the preparation that we do happens in our daily quiet time. How do you get filled with the word? How do you have communion with God? How do you really get to know God by spending time at his feet? How do those 12 disciples get to know God. I mean, Judas, you know, saw Jesus do all of these things. How did they get to know him? They ate with him. They slept with him. They walked with him. They watched his attitude. They watched how he, he spent time with his father. They, they were with him. It's what they said to Peter. Weren't you with him? Or they'd hear someone speak. They noted he was with Jesus. But Peter, 
just a simple fisherman sharing profound things of theology. Jesus took this simple people. Huh. Ever meet a fisherman? Not necessarily Rhodes scholars. Oh, Jesus only uses the smart people, the, the, the ones with the good spiritual pedigree. No, he uses the simple things, the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. The last thing I want to talk about, and I'll bring it in for landing, is this. The last thing I want you to know about these shoes is these shoes bring peace with them. How many could use some peace? Amen. If you're not clapping your hands, no peace for you. Only the people who clap, Lord. Amen. So Matthew 10, 34 says this. And Jesus is speaking here. The gospel brings peace with it, but it also brings explosive division. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 10. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace on earth, but a sword. For I came to turn man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So there is a component of the gospel because it has to do with Jesus Christ. And he is divisive in the sense that if you believe in him, you're saved. If you reject him, you're lost. If you believe in him, you come into the light. If you reject him, you stay in the darkness. We don't have fellowship with the darkness. So there's no fellowship with darkness and light. So that's why Jesus said, don't, don't think that I came to bring peace. I'm not a compromiser. I'm not, you know, brokering peace by compromising. No, I came to bring a sword. Swords divide things. And so there is a component about the gospel because it has to do with Jesus that it brings some level of division. Believers from unbelievers. And let me say a couple of things here. I, lo- I hear a lot of people in the body of Christ, I hear a lot of Christians say, we need to just, you know, we need to compromise. We need to find common ground with the world. You know, things are, the tides are turning, so we have to change. And, and listen to me, you can't compromise and have fellowship with darkness. There's no fellowship with darkness and light. Now I want a better amen than that. There's no fellowship. Well, you know, we just have to tune it down and tone it down. We have to compromise. We have to bend and find common ground. No, I'm not going for, well, let's just have a little abortion. Or let's just have a little immorality. Or let's just have a little bit. No, I'm not compromising. You can compromise if you want, but I'm not going to bend. Amen? We need to stand firm. There's a lot of voices out there, man, that, and some of them stand behind pulpits. And I, I got to say, you know, they'd be better off selling shoes because they're not wearing them gospel shoes I'm talking about. They're wearing compromise shoes. And compromise waters down the gospel, and it makes it the gospel no longer. These shoes bring peace with them. Jesus came to bring a sword, not peace. So there is an element where there, there is division, but there is also the other side of the coin where, you know, uh, those who are ready to receive the gospel with gladness, they are receiving peace from it. Now, here are two groups that receive peace from the, the shoes or the preparation of the gospel peace. Number one, the people who wear the shoes. If you strap those shoes on, yeah, they might take you to some places where it's, it's hot, it's a battle, there's conflict, there, you know, but I'm telling you what, you're going to find peace in the middle of the storm. You're going to find peace in the battle. Why? Because obedience always brings peace. 
If you're out there saying, Pastor, I don't want to wear them. You know, I, I don't like conflict. I don't do well. You know, it makes me anxious. Listen, you and I need to strap them on and watch the smile that comes across our face just by being obedient to the Lord. Amen. Obedience releases peace. So the person who wears the shoes, the believer who straps them on willingly will receive peace. To the people who receive peace from those who wear the shoes, they are partakers of that peace. When Paul went from place to place, when Peter went from place to place, when the, the early church spread and grew, what happened? Everywhere the people went, the gospel would break out like a wildfire and people would get saved and churches would be planted. You could look at Paul's missionary journeys, all three of them. Every place he went, the spirit broke out. Why? Because he was wearing those shoes and he was bringing the gospel. And when he got there, it was the anointing of God that changed people's hearts. And they heard the gospel message and they got saved. And there was joy in the Lord in that. There's joy in producing spiritual fruit. We can't just sit on the sidelines and hope someone else will do it. It's time for us to strap those shoes on, to take them wherever we go, and let our message be about the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Tell everyone who has ears about Jesus. And if they don't have ears, write it down if they got eyes. And if there's another problem, come to me. We'll figure it out. But everywhere you go, share the gospel. It's time to share the gospel. It's not time to talk about sports teams. It's not time to talk about politics. It's, not, it's time to share the gospel. That's the first message. Yeah, we can care about those other things, but they can't be the primary thrust of our lives because you and I are supposed to be strapped with the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace that wherever we go, people hear about Jesus. I want you to bow your heads today. If you're here today and you're listening to a message like this and you're saying, you know what, I, I'm hearing about Jesus. I know what you're saying, but I, I've, I don't have a relationship with him. I've, I've never made a commitment to him. The Bible says that if we'll confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, we would be saved. He made it so simple. The gospel's not complicated. It's simple. We're sinners. Jesus is the Savior. He died in our place. If we'll receive him as our personal Lord and Savior, he will forgive us and cleanse us of all our sin, make us part of the family of God, and secure our eternal destinies. It's so simple that multitudes miss it. If you're here today and you've never had an opportunity to confess him and to receive him, Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. Public confession is part of the process of salvation. It's allowing people to see that we've chosen to repent from our sin and make Jesus the Lord of our lives. You can have a clean slate and a fresh start. He'll fill you with the Holy Spirit and give you the power to live a different life. You say, I've been trying everything I know to stop sinning, to stop drinking, to stop pornography. I, I can't get free, Pastor. No, you'll never get free without Jesus. Jesus died on that cross to set us free. He's not waiting for us to be better sinners to come to him. He's just waiting for us to come to him so we can forgive our sin. If you want a clean slate and a fresh start today, I want you to slip up your hand. How many people here would say, I want to do that today. I want to accept Jesus. I want to make him the Lord of my life. And I, and I need to do that today. I'm looking around, looking like everybody's saved. Father, we thank you today for salvation. It is a free gift. We don't earn it. We don't work for it but we receive it by faith and we believe jesus that you are the savior that you are god that you died and you rose for us 
we make you the Lord of our lives today. We, we commit to you afresh today. And we ask you to help us to strap on our gospel shoes every day and bring the good news to a world that is curious and hungry for truth. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen.